So I woke up this morning and was scanning through the news articles, looking at the Drudge Report and Blaze and several other websites, and I came across the headlines of this article. Christian bakers who lost their shop after refusing to make a wedding wedding cake for a lesbian couple are in for a major surprise. Well, of course, that caught my attention. I was interested to find out what that surprise would be. The article goes on to say, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I want to read it for you because I think it's important that you get the whole gist of it. The article says, Aaron and Melissa Klein, the Christian bakers who gained national attention after they refused to make a wedding cake for a lesbian couple, are in for a big surprise. A gay man who fervently disagrees with their stance on homosexuality is planning to willingly give them a large sum of money. The Kleins, who have spoken with the Blaze in the past about their legal woes since refusing to make the cake back in January 2013 and the subsequent loss of their shop, are reportedly facing a potential $150,000 fine, a fine that they say could bankrupt them. But Matt Stolhansky, I believe is how you pronounce it, a board member of the Evangelicals for Marriage Equality, a coalition of Christians who support same-sex marriage, recently launched an online campaign to raise money for the Klein family, despite his opposition to their views. Quote, As a gay man, I should hate Melissa and Aaron Klein, Stolhansky wrote in a recent Washington Post op-ed. I am also an evangelical Christian. I can't understand why Klein or any other Christians twist the words of Jesus to clarify this behavior. To me, it's deeply harmful and embarrassing, bastardizing our faith. End quote. But he went on to write that as a Christian, he believes that he's called to love even those with whom he disagrees. So he's raising the funds so that the Kleins and their five children won't suffer under the weight of the potentially massive fine. Stolhansky said he's planning to send whatever money he raises in a crowdfunding campaign to the bakers in an effort to keep them from going bankrupt and to show them good faith and love. But he said he's also hoping his gesture will encourage others like the Klein family to, quote, stop using the name of Jesus to explain to the LGBT community why we don't deserve access to the civil rights afforded to heterosexuals through the legal institution of marriage. Stolhansky's campaign, which has attracted a plethora of supporters, also asks for help in changing the negative national debate that has surrounded the Kleins over the past year. He says, We want to begin a conversation with the Kleins and Christians around the country. We want to ask them to begin to use the posture of Jesus Christ as it pertains to the civil rights of gay Americans. Reads the donation page he has. He says, Even if you disagree with gay religious marriage, please see that Jesus did not ask his followers to take his words convert them into laws, and then force everyone to abide by them. That is the opposite of the way in which he asked us to share his message of hope and salvation. As the Blaze reported in September 2013, the Kleins were already forced to close their sweet cakes by Melissa Bakery following intense scrutiny and furor. They're now operating out of the family home. Now, when I first read that article... I couldn't tell really how the news agency was presenting it. 
It appeared to me that they were trying to present it as neutral as they could. And at just first quick light glance, it seems like uh, maybe that's a good thing what's happening that this poor family, the Kleins, are going to get some sort of financial relief for all the hell, all the struggle that they've been put through. And certainly, I I think they deserve some sort of financial relief. But the reality is, when I looked at that news article, it was one big pile of garbage and lies and hypocrisy. And I'm going to tell you something. I think this thing is a Trojan horse, and you better get ready for more of this kind of attack and more of this kind of subtlety. It is absolutely garbage what this man is doing, this Stolhansky, trying to raise money to send to them. Now, there were several thoughts along this line that struck me. I'm going to share them with you, and and I hope that you'll understand that it requires some critical thinking, but more importantly, some biblical thinking. The first thing that jumps out to me about this article, and you're more than welcome to go read it for yourself, but the first thing that jumps out to me is that this is absolutely a hot steaming pile of hypocrisy. I mean, how hypocritical, how hypocritical this was on behalf of the man who wants to supposedly help. If he wanted to help them, if he really wanted to help them, He would have been able to help them without having to have an op-ed piece in the Washington Times and without making a big deal about it. What he wants is to get political fame, political notoriety, to make inroads through his seemingly selfless act. But the truth of the matter is, this case didn't just pop up. It's been going on for, for a year. He could have helped them at any point, any time along the way. And yet he writes an article... He gets his op-ed published, he gets put in the blaze, other websites, other magazine sites, other newspapers, all for the sake of simply making a political point and putting himself in the limelight. Now for somebody like this man who supposedly knows the Bible better than anyone else, he seems to have forgotten what Jesus taught when he was teaching about how to giving how to give your alms i believe jesus said in matthew chapter number 6 that when you give your alms you should do it in secret where you don't right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing but instead this man like the pharisee sounds a trumpet before him and lets all the world know what kind of good and altruistic deed he's doing for the poor helpless klein family because he wants everybody to know that he's a better man than they are These poor, uneducated, uninformed, narrow-minded, vicious, ugly homophobes are going to be helped by this kind, gracious, godly, homosexual evangelical, and he wants to rub it in the face of the nation and let everybody know it. Now, if you think what I'm saying is harsh, I'm sorry. Those are the facts. That's the reality. That's the reality. You say, well, you know, you you, you probably shouldn't be judging his motives. I'm not judging his motives. I don't know what's in the man's heart, but I can tell you what his actions are conveying. His actions do not convey a genuine kindness and concern for them. He said in his op-ed piece that he hopes this starts a dialogue. Well, I want to know, has he actually called the Klein family? Has he gotten on a plane and flown out there and sat down and, and had a cup of coffee with him and talked to him? Has he called them? Has he sent them a letter? Has he talked directly to them? No, none of that stuff has taken place because he's not interested in that. 
He's interested in using them as they have been used all along by the homosexual militant community to further their agenda. The second thing that comes to my mind through this article is that compromise kills. Our problem is not with conflict. The greatest danger to the church and the greatest danger to true discipled Christianity is not, it is not conflict. It is compromise. Now, you may not be aware of this story in the Bible, but let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In the book of Numbers, the children of Israel ran across a guy by the name of Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet, and he was hired by the king of Moab to, to put a hex, to put a curse on the children of Israel. And so the king of Moab takes him up to a high mountain and on several occasions tries to get this guy, Balaam, to put a curse on the children of Israel so that they could be destroyed and it didn't take place. God wouldn't allow it. In every single instance, God protected and blessed the children of Israel when it came to a direct conflict between right and wrong. But we find that the story doesn't end there. Just a chapter or two later, we see that Balaam called the children of Israel to a feast of their gods. Now, it doesn't take a theologian or a rocket scientist to read just a little bit behind the line, between the lines, and to see what happened. What Balaam and the king of Moab were unable to do by direct conflict, they were able to accomplish by compromise. They said to the children of Israel, look, let's just get along. Okay, you have your God, we have our gods, but at least come to our feast. Let's sit down, let's eat, let's celebrate, let's have a good time together. Can't we all just get along? Let's agree to disagree. And they ushered in, Balaam ushered in, a time of great compromise among the children of Israel, where the children of Israel actually, to a degree, forsook their true God and began to worship and be involved in the, the orgies and the devil worship and all the paganism that was going on with Balaam. What Balaam was not able to do by direct conflict, by cursing, he was able to do by compromise. And I say to you that the same thing is going on today with true Christians. Now, it is not my place to tell this couple that they should not take the money and that they should refuse it. But I'm going to tell this couple they should not take the money and they should refuse it. I'm not in their place. I'm not in $150,000 debt. I haven't lost my business. I don't have five children and all the pressures that they have on them. And if a Christian organization or a bunch of Christians got together and said, hey, we want to send some money out there, I'd be one of the first persons to chip in and to sacrifice going to McDonald's for a month or sacrifice a little bit of my cable and, and send some money to them. I'm not trying to talk big and haughty and punky and all that kind of stuff. I, I think we need to be willing to sacrifice and, and circle the wagons around our own. But even if that does not happen, even if these people go out of business and they suffer that debt, I, I want to say something here that when I say it through this microphone and I say it to you, I, I before God, I'm saying it to myself. And this is, this is the point. Convictions come with a price. Opinions have no price. You can have whatever opinion you want and change your opinion at the drop of a dime. Opinions have no price, but convictions have a price, and often it's a heavy price. 
Now, we need to be Christians of conviction, not opinion. Opinion means that, hey, it's just my opinion. And if things get rough or things get tough, I'm not going to fight over an opinion. I'm not going to suffer over an opinion. I'm not going to go to jail over an opinion. I'm not going to lose my job or let my business be closed down or let my church be closed or, or turn over my children to the state based on an opinion. But ladies and gentlemen, as, as disciples of the word of God, as Bible believers, as Christians, we are called to follow Christ by conviction, not opinion, conviction. And convictions have a price. And the Kleins and preachers and parents and married couples and singles and churches and Christians, we must be willing and we should be willing to pay the price of our convictions. No price, no power. It's that simple. No price, no power. I believe it is in our willingness to suffer, that we often show the power of what we believe. The fact is, the principal issue is not even being addressed or being helped by simply sending money to pay for the legal bills. In reality, this couple was attacked. They were assaulted. If you read the full story of the Kleins and this bakery and what took place, you will see that they were deeply kind, deeply respectful. They went out of their way to be as cordial as they possibly could. But they have a right to their religion. They have a right to their opinion. They have a right to guide their own private business the way that they see fit. Sexual behavior is not a civil right. In 6,000 years of human history, it has never been a public civil right. This couple is being forced to do something against their will, being forced to do something against their conscience, against their God, against their religion. It is an ironic thing that while Christians are losing rights in America, Muslims seem to be gaining rights. Now let's throw out the political crap for a minute and let's, let's stop being politically correct and let's be honest with ourselves here. Who is more violent? Who is more negative? What is more detrimental to the homosexual community? Christians or Muslims? I mean, can we not at least answer that question with some sense of honesty? When's the last time you've heard of a group of Christians or a Christian nation stoning or beheading anybody for their sexual preferences? But that's who the homosexuals are going after, Christians. Well, how about the Madras in Boston? Have you read anything about the connection of the Boston bombers to that Madras, that, that, that Muslim temple there in Boston? Both government reports and news investigations show that it is intentionally, systematically propagating violent doctrine and jihad around our nation. Now, does anybody actually think that homosexuals would fare better under Sharia law than they would Judeo-Christian ethics? The reality of the matter is, this couple was assaulted. They were attacked. They were observed, targeted, 
and assaulted with the legal system in a coordinated attack to set precedent and create fear throughout the nation and in the community of believers. And it's my humble opinion that no amount of money paid should be accepted from the very hand of those that are assaulting our religious liberties with their other hand. Now, another thought that comes to my mind when I read this article is that there is a battle that is coming. I know if you've listened to several podcasts, you probably hear me say that phrase in one way or another. And I I don't want to sound like Chicken Little. I don't want to sound like I'm crying wolf. I don't want to sound like everything is negative and it's the end of the world and there's no good things. Listen, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have joy. I have peace. I think life is good and wonderful, but I also think we can't stick our head in the sand and think everything's just going to keep on going the way that it is. I truly believe in my heart that that we are being inoculated. We are being uh, anesthetized. We're being numbed to the reality of what's taking place around us. Now, I say that a battle is coming, but hear me closely. In the spiritual world, For Christians, I don't think the great battle is going to be between the world and the Christians. I think the great battle is going to be between true Bible-believing Christians and those who are false Christians. Now, Jesus warned of this in John chapter 16. He said, don't be surprised when people are going to persecute you thinking that they're actually doing the will of God. John 16. Paul warned Timothy that perilous times shall come. Isaiah 66 mentions the same thing. Now, the truth is that when you look just at the Bible and you just gaze on the Word of God and let it speak in its normal, grammatical, rightly divided way, it is not hard to understand that a a Christian must see homosexuality as a sin And not just any sin, but as one of the most serious sins that the Bible talks about. The judgment of that sin, the the, the reaction to the Christian in that sin is guided, I believe, by the clear teachings of Scripture in this dispensation. But it is simply not a biblical position to claim on one hand to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, and on the other hand to accept and promote a sin that is anti-God and anti-Christian. Now, it's stunning to me, and this really goes back to to theological issues. The more we have blurred what it means to be a Christian, the more we have taken away the fruit of being a Christian, of regeneration, of justification, of a real life transformation and fellowship of Christ, the more we have blurred the line of what it means to be a Christian, the more anyone and anything becomes Christian. And that's just not so. It is still a narrow path It is still a narrow path. But I believe we are going to see more and more believers pushed into a corner by our own supposed brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been so afraid of being loving. We have been told that we're not loving for so long. We have been so concerned about being accepted and not being misunderstood. The fact of the matter is, our whispers are drowned out by the yells of war from the other side. Now we need to stop prefacing. We need to stop worrying about what they are going to think of us, and we need clear, powerful, 
passionate, urgent declaration rather than explanation. There's nothing wrong with explaining, but we need to clearly, unapologetically declare what the Bible says. Truthfully, I think we have to see more than ever where we are in our nation. And I believe that pastors and true followers of Christ had better be prepared for massive wholesale defection of those who call themselves Christians. And let me say that again. I think we're coming, if the Lord tarries his return, I think we're going to see massive wholesale defection from the sound doctrinal teachings of truth in Scripture. But above all the thoughts that came to my mind, and if nothing else settles in or echoes into your heart of what I've said, please hear this last point. When I read that article, what struck me more than anything else was that this man, this man who wrote this article, inadvertently showed his hand. He showed his true heart. You ask, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Stolhansky, when he wrote in the Washington Post, started his op-ed piece with these words, quote, As a gay man, I should hate Melissa and Aaron Klein. End quote. Now he goes on to say that as a Christian, He wants to try to love them and blah, 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 and all the garbage that he begins to spew out. But he begins by saying, as a gay man, I should hate Melissa and Aaron Klein. Bingo. Got him. Thank you. Uh, The poker players call that a tell. Thank you, Mr. Stolhansky. Thank you for being absolutely honest in in an unguarded moment. As a homosexual You should hate them? Why? Let's remove, just for a minute, the the Christian aspect from this whole issue. And let's just ask if that's a fair and rational response to this poor couple's personal religious beliefs. You hate them? You hate them because they don't agree or believe in what you believe in? Did they hurt anybody? Did they rob anyone? Did they slander anyone? Didn't they go out of their way to help as far as they felt their beliefs would allow them to? Do they not have the right to refuse service based on religious freedom? Was the service that they were offering a a matter of life and death necessity? For instance, like a hospital or CPR, where they're standing over somebody who was a homosexual that had a heart attack and said, well, look, you know, they're, they're homosexual, they, they, they deserve to go ahead and die and go to hell, I'm not going to give them CPR. Is that what they did? None of the above. They did nothing morally hurtful or harmful to anybody. They expressed their own private religious view in a private setting with another person in a private business. Why would you hate them? They certainly don't hate you. Mr. Stohansky, did Gandhi suggest hatred of the British? Did Martin Luther King Jr. say that the black people should hate the white man? 
Why is it okay for you to say publicly and nationally that you hate somebody simply because they don't agree and believe in what you believe in? Why is it okay to hate someone who has a personal religious belief that causes you no bodily harm? Why hate them? Because they won't bake you a cake? Because they have a religious belief that dates around 6,000 years old? Why would you say, as a gay man, I should hate them? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. The fact is, he expressed in an unguarded moment what is at the root of the militant political homosexual movement. And that is hatred of Christians. That's it. It is rooted in a hatred of God. The same reason why Cain killed Abel. Abel was created in the image of God. Cain was angry at God. He couldn't kill God, but he could kill Abel. And the same thing is going on today. This poor couple trying to bake cakes and put some food on the table, they don't mean a thing to anybody anywhere at any time. The homosexuals have their agenda being passed. It's going full steam ahead. Why would you attack them? Why would you go at them? Why not take a stand against the, the uh, Muslims? Why not take a stand against Saudi Arabians and Iranians who, who constantly punish and kill and murder homosexuality? Why go after this Christian couple? What is the point? Why would you say in a post, in the Washington Post, as a gay man, I should hate them? You know why? Because that's what's in your heart. Hatred. The very thing they accuse the Christian for is the very thing they themselves are guilty of. Hatred. I will say what I feel like I've been saying so much. Christians, we need to start trimming the fat. We need to start living lives in our families and our churches that are the kind of lives that you would live if you didn't have freedom because that's what's coming. There's going to be great struggles ahead. And as I said earlier, I'm excited. I believe we're on the winning side. I believe the Lord's coming. I believe in victory. I believe in everything that we're doing. But we better start trimming the fat. We're not dealing with political issues. We're not dealing with social issues. We are dealing at the very root with hatred of God. And we better know what we believe, stick by what we believe, and do what is right, though the stars fall.